0: Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Kelly Wisness. Hi, this is Kelly Wisness. Welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. We're pleased to welcome back Mary Devine, Bessler's Vice President of Revenue Integrity. In this episode, Mary will give us a glimpse into Bessler's next webinar, Why the Transfer Rule is Important that we're hosting on Wednesday, November 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back and thank you for joining us, Mary. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. Can you refresh us on what the transfer rule is and who it impacts? Sure. So um, in the late uh,
1: 90s, soon after the DRGs were implemented, uh, Medicare, CMS, they were really um, focused on the fact that they felt that they were paying for care twice. So a lot of providers focused on the length of stay, and at that time, no matter how long you stayed in the hospital, you would get the full DRG. So if the the geometric mean length of stay on a particular DRG was was five days, and you were only in there for one day, you were getting the full DRG, And Medicaid, and then quite often that patient was transferred to receive additional care that should have been included in that DRG payment, and so Medicare says, I don't want to pay for that care twice. And they decided that they were going to implement what we now call as the transfer rule. So, And the way that it works is if, if a patient is admitted to a short-term acute care PPS hospital, so this only impacts PPS hospitals, and is then transferred to another PPS hospital, certain rules apply, not just um, PPS hospitals, but if they're transferred to um, other post-acute care services such as home care or SNF. And when that happens, and it's below the geometric mean length of stay, Medicare makes a payment to the second hospital at the full DRG rate, um, or the the post acute care provider at the full rate, and then the transferring hospital gets the per diem rate. And there are currently two hundred and eighty DRGs that Medicare has this impact on. And so keep in mind, any patient for those two hundred and eighty DRGs that is discharged below the geometric mean length of stay, will receive a per diem payment, providing they receive that post-acute care as indicated on the discharge uh, claim. Forgot to mention who it impacts. So obviously this is going to impact CMS because they get to um, have a cost savings there. And then it impacts, as I mentioned, the um, any IPPS acute care providers.
0: Thank you for that refresher. What are the discharge status codes impacted by the transfer rule? So
1: when it first went live, the list was um, a little bit shorter than it is today because they've added in some additional discharge status codes, obviously, because it's been working so well for them. So when you talk about a transfer to acute care, that's a discharge status code of an O2 and all discharges are impacted um, for that discharge status code, not just within the 280 DRGs. Um, the next is uh, discharge status code of 03, indicating sniff care. Then we have um, discharge status code of an 05 for a cancer facility or a children's facility that is, in fact, reimbursed um, from a PPS perspective. Um, and then we have 06 for home care, uh, 62 for inpatient rehab, 63 for long-term acute care, 65 for a Medicare-licensed psychiatric unit, and then in addition to those two, um, Medicare added in on 10118 both discharge status codes 50 and 51, indicating that the that the patient has elected hospice on the day of discharge.
0: Thank you for that. And so why does this sure. matter to both CMS and providers? This matters to CMS because of
1: the very f- fact I mentioned previously that this is saving them money. So instead of paying the full DRG, they are only paying the per diem. And on average today, the impact of the difference between the per diem and the full DRG is about $6,500. And this saves CMS about $3.5 billion a year. So that's money that they are no longer paying out to post-acute um, and to providers at this point. And then in addition to that $3.5 billion that they're saving, there is an estimate of $41 million in overpayments that providers are receiving that CMS then after the fact looks to recover because they paid claims for, that were impacted by the post-acute rule that they hadn't. And then from a Provider perspective, they're impacted same but opposite. Um, the providers have that reduced reimbursement of three point five billion dollars annually, and then I think the other unfortunate um, and unforeseen problem that providers are impacted is the rejections and/or the takebacks due to transfers that they do not know occurred when the bill was submitted. So you know it could happen. A patient could be discharged to the home, and they go home and they're home for four hours and maybe they slip and fall and they are go to an emergency room and they have to get admitted because they need to get their hip replaced. Well, the discharging facility had no idea that that patient was going to be readmitted to the facility. They submit their claim. They get it in before the second provider gets theirs in and they get their claim paid. And then six months down the road, Medicare is going to do a take back. And not only do they receive a reduced payment, but they lose their payment altogether until they fix that discharge status code. So they're now faced with a a rejection on that claim that they have to get fixed in order to receive at least the per diem amount.
0: Wow. So that can be very significant. Um, Yes. Yeah. So how does um, CMS know if the claim is billed correctly? You know, I think
1: CMS is uh, somewhat um, omniscient. They, they know everything, but, you know, they've gotten over the years, they have gotten better and better and better about knowing whether the patient received that post-acute care. And so they, they're able now to identify that. You know, it's, it's somewhat difficult when the claim is initially billed from the uh, transferring provider, but certainly if it goes in indicating that the patient was just discharged, again, utilizing the O1, from a discharge home, and then uh, six months down the road, nine months down the road, there is an incoming claim. Right away, those claims are going to match up from a CMS data mining perspective, and there's going to be a rejection that that claim receives. So, they've implemented um, a bunch of edits in the billing platform known as DDE, and all these edits are designed to capture claims from being paid where there is a claim. That is indicating post acute care. So they basically have created these edits so they know that the claim was billed correctly or not. What they don't know is if you submitted as a transfer and the patient wasn't transferred, they don't care to let you know that that patient wasn't transferred, even though they know it, they don't care to share that with you. So at that point, your claim would be underpaid versus overpaid or paid correctly.
0: Wow, that, that seems a little confusing, but um, kind right? of makes sense <laughs> too, yeah. <laughs> so what can providers do to make sure their claims are billed correctly? You know, there's several things
1: that providers can do both from a pre-bill perspective and a post-bill perspective to ensure they are receiving the correct reimbursement. And, you know, certainly being overpaid or underpaid is never good when it comes to dealing with your Medicare claims. They're supposed to be accurate. So from a pre-bill perspective, you want to make sure that you're working with um, physicians and case management, that they're coding that claim. I'm sorry, not the claim, but the um, medical record correctly. They're writing down correct documentation so it allows HIM to get that coded appropriately. Um, In the example of the claim where the, the physician writes in the notes, patient transferred to SNF and you, and HIM codes at an O3 when really that patient is on a, a Medicaid bed hold in there and they're going back to where they, that nursing home where they live. Well, that doesn't allow HIM to capture that correctly. So making sure that you capture correct notes in your, um, medical record uh, allowing the code to be correct. That's one spot from a pre bill perspective. And then from a post bill perspective, I highly encourage all providers um, to have some sort of internal review of claims post bill, um, especially when you own that home health and looking where you can potentially correct that discharge status code. And then you know, from a best practice perspective, allowing a vendor to come in and do a post-bill review, making sure that you are not underpaid or overpaid on your uh, transfer claims.
0: Appreciate those tips. Is there anything else you can share regarding the transfer rule? I guess the one thing that I
1: would uh, share is just recently, um, matter of fact, it was the report was put out in September of 2023. um, The OIG did a review of what would happen if 100% 100% of the DRGs were impacted by the transfer rule. And so right as of right now, there's nothing that's finalized. They are looking to reduce um, the deficit that they have right now of $7.3 billion. Um, and this would certainly be a way to do that, to expand that transfer rule to cover all discharges and not just the, the ones currently that are impacted with the 280. So that's the only thing that I could think of that could be potentially on the horizon to impact the transfer rule.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for joining us, Mary, and for sharing this sneak peek into Bessler's upcoming webinar, Why the Transfer Rule is Important, that you're presenting live on November 15th at 1 p.m. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. Until next time. This concludes our episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help protect and optimize revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.